Gotham, the clock is ticking. And welcome to the DC Animated Movie Show, a YouTube series and podcast for the prestigious ongoing catalog of DC Animated Movies. I am your host, Benjamin David. Tonight we are live on our YouTube channel, Above and Batman Beyond. And the audio from tonight's episode will also be on our DC Animated Movie Show podcast. So be sure to subscribe to both. So tonight, 28 July, calendar year 2021, we review the newest of DC Animated Movies, and that is Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. The film dropped digitally this past Tuesday on July 27th, with part one dropping last month. Then the part two Blu-ray will be available August 10th. Confusing release details, we'll get into all that. Uh, so don't forget about a review for part one, as well as our vid here on the channel, The Godfather of Long Halloween. That was a really fun video to do. Uh, since we are live on our YouTube channel, if you're joining us in chat, please feel free to drop us some Q's and A's, as well as your own thoughts on Long Halloween part two, uh, or any other questions and comments on DC Animated Movies. So before we jump into it, if you're new here at the channel, please consider subscribing on YouTube. Click that notification bell so you don't miss any of our new content. Uh, and for the podcast listeners, please subscribe to the pod, just like the vid series, We Are DC Animated Movie Show. You find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And speaking of Long Halloween Part 2, uh, also included with the new feature was the new DC Showcase short, Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle will continue our Showcase short review series covering all of the recent shorts from 2019 to 2021. So stay tuned for next week's episode with a review of Blue Beetle. And finally, follow us on Instagram. We are at DC Animated Movie Show. And follow the YouTube channel as well. We are at Batman Beyond Media. All right, Gotham, it's time. Let's review Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. if anyone's joining us in chat patty chat what up el collecto hello i would love to listen to your comments but i have to work right now what how dare you work that is not an excuse don't ever give me that excuse of having to work on this show uh no get to work uh, good for you man that's how you afford those el collectibles <laughs> terrible all right for those of you watching on youtube once again beside el collecto who has to work apparently uh comment below with your thoughts on long halloween part two so first, we'll talk about some release details for Long Halloween, both parts. And then, of course, I will get to our review. But before we do that, as always, let's check in with the trusty internet movie database for some quick IMDb trivia on Batman The Long Halloween, part, both parts, but mostly two. <laughs> uh, the killer known as Holiday continues to stalk the... Ah, let's start over. The killer known as Holiday continues to stalk the Falcone... For and round three, the killer, known as Holiday, continues to stalk the Falcone crime family while a new class of costume criminal rises in Gotham City. Batman suspects that a former ally might be the serial killer. So, Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2 are written by Tim Sheridan, both movies, uh, and directed by Chris Palmer. Based, of course, on the 1990s graphic novel by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Uh, let's check out the cast for a minute. A lot of the cast, of course, stays the same with Jensen Ackles as Batman, Bruce Wayne, Josh Duhamel as Harvey Dent, Two-Face, more Two-Face than this. And before, uh, Naya Rivera, Sad Face, Catwoman, uh, Selena Kyle, Troy Baker, Joker. Thankfully, not too much of him in the, as I uh, expressed my grief with that in the last review. Uh, Lila Burzens as Sophia, Sophia Falcone. She did a great job. She plays a prominent role in this. Billy Burke, back for Commissioner Gordon, did a great job once again. Let's see, Calendar Man, David DeSmolchin, who's going to be uh, Polka Dot Man in The Suicide Squad. Elisa Diaz, uh, Alyssa Diaz as Renee Montoya. 
And so hopefully we're going to get because we're going to talk about the possibilities for sequels, the likelihood for sequels. <gasps> Spoilers, I guess. Uh, this is a spoiler review, but we're going to have a spoiler wall. Anyway, Alyssa Diaz, hopefully we're going to see more of Montoya as the point. Uh, John DiMaggio as the Mad Hatter. I'll talk about how somehow I, I don't know, John DiMaggio. Robert Atkin Downs as the Scarecrow and Alistair Duncan as Alfred Pennyworth. Um, yeah, so let's hit notes once again. Uh, writer Tim Sheridan did, or I should say, let's hit the uh, writer and director once again. Tim Sheridan and director uh, Chris Palmer did Long Halloween's Parts 1 and 2 for Tim Sheridan. He did Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and they both uh, did that movie as well with director Chris Palmer directing Man of Tomorrow. So that was the 2020 Superman movie. Uh, Chris Palmer also storyboarded on Young Justice, and then Tim Sheridan worked on Reign of the Superman. Uh, I pro oh, sorry, Death and Reign of the Superman, because that was also a two-part movie, a two-part decan. Um, so some release details, because this one's a doozy. Batman Alone Halloween is a two-part movie, with part one released just last month on June 22nd, as we said. Part two was July 27th, this past Tuesday. There is a WB press release about this. Uh, we talked about this, again, in our review for part one, but because it's a two-part movie, we got to talk about it to an extent. It's a rarity to have day and date uh, for part one, which was cool, meaning day and date, in this case, not being theatrical, but being like the Blu-ray came out the same day as digital for part one. But then strangely, part two on 7.27 was just digital, and then the Blu-ray, we have to wait to August 10th. Uh, so... Frankly, I'm not getting the Blu-ray. I always get the the digital and the Blu-ray just because I'm a collector. I love these movies. Um, but there's also going to be a 2022, which brings us to the next thing. You know, an exciting part for the movie collectors. Again, from the press release, 2022 Batman Along Halloween Part 2 will be available on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray Combo Pack. That's a long title. As a combined presentation with Batman Along Halloween Part 1. And they're going to have connecting covers. Uh, so the cover of Long Halloween Part 1, Part 2, there was the Joker face. is going to meet Two-Face's face, and it's going to be dope. That being said, I am not going to get the Blu-ray. So what, I'm going to get like six copies of Long Halloween. I'm not that much of a completionist. Um, just going with the digital. It feels weird, guys, but it does. Uh, also included with this release was a sneak peek, as with every DCAM, the typically the, yeah, pretty much all of them. The sneak peek for the next decam comes with a new one, right? So if Injustice is the next decam with uh, Long Halloween Part 2, we got the sneak peek for it. And man, does that movie look dope. Specifically, Kevin Pollock as Joker. So that was like one of the standout names because there is a decent amount of no names in that. I'm not going to get too deep into Injustice here, but I'm pretty pumped that the point is the standout of that whole behind the scenes. We're going to talk about, we're going to cover the hell out of it is Kevin Pollock as Joker. Like, next iconic Joker voice-wise. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> back to Long Halloween here. Some non-spoiler initial thoughts. Um, you know, Tim Sheridan said in an interview, I believe it was Tim Sheridan, the writer, parts one and part two are two very different movies, which is kind of genius because that also represents, and I believe they did this deliberately, uh, to represent the duality the theme of duality throughout Batman and Halloween, you know, the whole thing with Two-Face, the whole thing with Batman, secret identities, corruption, Batman's family historically being tied with corruption, the very corruption that, you know, fuels people like Falcone, and then the history with the Falcone crime family, all the stuff that 
is duality, right? So there's two different movies here. That is apparent. Both good ways and bad. Uh, I'd say mostly good. Part two was good enough where I'm not disappointed if I sound that way. But I will say it doesn't come close to as good as part one. Long Halloween part one was a great film. Like, this is a great animated Batman movie. I just wouldn't say it's a great film in the same way as one. Again, two distinct movies, so it's not they're not trying to compete, uh, which will become clearer when we get over the spoiler wall. And I'm going to give much clearer examples of what exactly I mean. Uh, and again, more positive than negative. As with part one, loving the animation style. So this is the same animation style that we've been getting, this thick archer style, if you will, thick black outlines with these almost textured backgrounds, like paper texture. I love it. Some people aren't in love with it. I think it's a huge relief from all the kind of uh, over-realism of maybe what we were getting in the, or just, I, I felt like it was the Decamo, the DC animated movie universes, the new 52, 15 movies there. Uh, I felt like that was a little sterile is what I wanted to say. Like the backgrounds in particular just felt not so much fun. Whereas, and some, some of the examples were, but backgrounds in this are absolutely gorgeous like this whole universe so to be clear once again we're getting this archer looking animation style as we saw this in superman man and tomorrow that's the first time we saw it in 2020 last year then we saw it in justice society of world war ii uh from this year and we'll get to spoilers but it's the same animation style as this so i am loving this animation style that's as much as i'm going to say for now Really fun gangster movie references in this. Now, I uh, emphasize references because I didn't think this was as strong of a gangster movie as the first one. And in my defense, I think this, again, they weren't trying to be. This is more of a superhero movie than anything. I'm going to get into details on all this. But just in my initial spoiler thoughts, non-spoiler thoughts, there still should be, this still should be a gangster movie. But really fun gangster movie nods references direct homages whatever you want to call them pretty direct i guess it would be like we'll get to the details but fun stuff and then uh, an interesting twist on holiday's identity like not where i have some beef with the movie is not the best execution but i will say that i was happy we knew we weren't going to probably get the exact same ending why would you if it's a mystery story and it's an adaptation of the comic why would you give us the same identity of, of uh, you know, the killer? But it's also like, I feel like they could have executed it a little better, but we'll get to the details. So those are my non, oh, and also action up front. I, I should have put this in my non-spoiler initial thoughts. Action was superb in this. Again, much more of a superhero movie than the last one was more of a gangster movie. The superhero action in this, wowzers. It's, <laughs> wowzers. How old am I? Um, no, really exceptional action. So, yeah. All right, so here are my review details. Slash, let's hop over the spoiler wall, guys. Um, all right. Not necessarily a great film. This is kind of like my... We'll do story slash overall critique. Um, then we'll get to some other stuff. Animation, action, and some details of what I just went over in the... Um, not spoiler initial thoughts, but this is, again, story slash overall critique. 
not necessarily a great film, but definitely a great animated Batman movie. And I know I said that before, but what I mean by that is, like in the post credits, spoiler, three, two, one. This Batman from Long Halloween will be our new Dekamu Batman. So this is what I'm calling the new Dekamu, the new DC animated movie universe. Once again, the last one was the 15 movies that we got from um, Flashpoint Paradox in 2013 up to uh, uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. That's how I think. I go, uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War in 2020. That was the 15 film DC animated movie universe that we got before. Again, it was based on the new 52 comics. Kind of a combination of that, Grant Morrison stuff. You know the story. Uh, this, however, is now a brand new universe of animated movies. So if that ended in 2020, in between we've gotten, I guess in 2020, we didn't know we were getting the first movie. So they introduced our Superman in 2020. Then we had Justice Society World War II. I mentioned this before, 2021. Now we're getting our Batman. So before, obviously with the trailers, we're getting part one. We knew that this animation style was very similar. We were suspect that this was the same universe, especially because we knew by the time we watched Justice Society World War II, we knew that was connected to Man of Tomorrow. Then it's like getting the three, two, one spoiler post credits, baby, of Flash showing up with Green Arrow of all people, which I'll get to in a second. But the fact that this is all confirmed, um, I'm going to say like, it's a great, back to this not necessarily being a great film, it's a great animated Batman movie, meaning, like, if I'm just going to go, like, the new Batman animated movie that came out, like, the best of the Dekamu, or let's say high middle of the road of uh, the DC animated movie, Batman movies that we've gotten throughout since, you know, back, all the way back to 07, let's say. You know, this is up there. And the reason I say it's up there is because, like, it's, and probably maybe why this isn't as, this movie is not as strong or as much of a film and a gangster movie and all the positive things I had to say about the first one is because it has to fit into a universe. Like, yes, the animation fit into that. And yes, that was the, technically the same Batman in part one, but this now has to be, right? So the thing is, if they keep up this caliber of storytelling, action, world building, I am totally in for this as our new batman like they did a great job with man of tomorrow i was not a fan of justice society world war ii but that doesn't mean that movie didn't have a lot of potential within it my big grief with that movie is that it's like three different movies in one like you could probably if you had like an english 101 class you could break that movie into three and just somehow somehow for some crazy reason in my opinion uh, I don't know why. And I also don't know why they like multiverse that movie. They they introduced like a multiverse within it, kind of complicated it way more than it should have been. Uh, but it was still strong enough that once again, if you just like take out a third here and a third there of that movie and mix it in with the positive sides of what we got, which once again, Superman and Tomorrow, what we've gotten thus far in, in Batman Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2, it, you're going to have a good universe, I think. Like, and again, it's also a relief after JS World War II because I wasn't a fan, <laughs> uh, though I did like Man of Tomorrow. And in fact, I liked, I, if I had to rank them, I guess, so far of this universe, you'd have Long Halloween Part Two. That's how much I liked it. It's my favorite of them so far. Definitely then from there, Man of Tomorrow and then JS World War II. Um, 
the young Batman. Oh, sorry. So like in Man of Tomorrow, we got a young Superman. Now we have a young Batman, which is cool. And that fits him with long, like that was an organic kind of transition because long Halloween, he was a younger Batman. So in the comic. So, right. So bringing that into long Halloween and this was cool. And whatever comics I, I'm assuming called Man of Tomorrow, don't hold me to that. I'm not a Superman guy, but like that, you know, Superman origin, Batman origin, or early days of Batman. Thank God it wasn't an origin because <laughs> we got enough of those. God knows. Um, but like, yeah, early Batman, early Superman. We've gotten our Justice, our Justice League movie so far. Um, actually, let me get to that later. But this is cool. Point is, this is cool to get a young Batman, young Superman. And also a younger Barry Allen Flash, as we saw Justice Society World War II, World War II, JS World War II. But it was cool seeing Green Arrow. So we didn't meet him at all, at all, thus far in this universe. So it's cool to have gotten not only, you know, a callback from the rest of the universe, a confirmation in this post credits that this Batman is part of it. Although, once again, we knew from the animation, but Green Arrow? And when was the last time we got Green Hour animated? I ask a question, I pose this question all the time with this DC animated movie show, even with Above and Batman Beyond prior. People love the Green Arrow animated short, and that's a character when I ask people, what character do you want in animation? People constantly, I get Green Arrow. So they've been listening to that. Like, and he looked good, man. He looked good. So back to Long Halloween, uh, solid movie. Long Halloween Part 2, I should say. It's a solid movie. It wrapped up Part 1 nicely. Wrapped up Part 1 nicely. It did a great job, great job, with the devolution of Harvey Dent into Two-Face. Like, that's not an easy task. That's not an easy task, even just pacing, let alone execution. I To the point where Josh Duhamel, I wasn't a fan, I'm still kind of not, uh, that he's pretty much just doing a Richard Mall for the animated series. Sorry, he just... It sounds like that. It sounds way too much like Richard Mall from the Batman the Animated Series. But still, like, he's doing a great <laughs> Richard Mall. I've said this before. But I still think that he's he's a good actor. Like, he's he exhibited how good he was in this with going back and forth between Harvey and the Two-Face voice. Like, literally conversations, dialogue back and forth. That's one person. Um Really cool camera work within that, too, of, of not just the, maybe the more obvious duality, like half of his face is in shadow, half of it's not, the way they reveal it, the way that, you know, you're showing only sides of his face when he's not quite two-faced yet, so he's still Harvey Dent with certain camera angles, and then he's not. They did all that fantastic, but the interplay with his voice and that uh, was just really good. I think sound design throughout all this which we're going to talk about with action soon but like throughout this whole universe back to uh, even man of tomorrow jazz world war ii they're not afraid to turn off the music in this universe which is great like just shut it off it doesn't not every scene has to have all this music and sound design is really specific and um kind of graphic when there's action uh I don't know. They are good at building the Sonic world in this universe. Uh, I'll get into gripes now to kind of explain my loose comparison to part one. Because again, I can't, you cannot fairly compare these two. You can't use your comparison to part one as 
your base of critique. It's not fair because like it part one's like an AP class, right? So I taught AP art history. Um, the kids in the non-AP classes were still great, right? But many of them are there because they have to be. AP is like, they're there for the exam. They want to get the best grade they can on the exam. They're hanging on your every word. If they're not, they're still super smart. I pointed, it's AP. Part two gets a solid B plus overall, if not an A in like, you know, college prep. But part one is just, uh, we're not we're not talking even close to honors or AP, like literally a different class. So I'm done with that analogy. But the other analogy I used for in my review for part one was just, it's like Soprano. It's not TV, it's HBO. Like it's Sopranos versus somehow Sopranos wasn't winning the Emmys the first five seasons of the show, IRL real life, but it should have. Right. And like, all I could think when that show came out was, this isn't fair to anyone else on TV. Like, how could Sopranos go up against network TV? It's just not fair. That's how I feel about part one versus other Batman animated movies. Like, it's just that good of a film, as I said before. That good of a film. Um, another way I can kind of compare the two, maybe, in a fair way. There's no Chinatown scene in this. I hate to admit, but like, it's slightly forgettable in this sense. High rewatch value, like many of these animated movies. Just saying, like, there's no Chinatown scene for me. That Chinatown scene in part one. And I think this is a fair criticism to level because this is action, right? I, there are memorable... It's not like there aren't memorable action scenes in this. It's just, you think a long LV part one, and you're just like, oh my god, that... Like, I guess with every Batman movie, you should just have... One of the things that should be unforgettable to you is now, now this is a long laundry list. First of all, in your Batman, first of all, your Batman movie should be unforgettable. Then within your Batman, unforgettable Batman movie, you should have an action scene that's unforgettable as well. I don't know. I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's a tall order, but it, there should just be certain action scenes that you can't forget. Like Dark Knight immediately, track the trailer flipping, right? You got like, uh, I don't know, Mask of the Phantasm, the year one scenes when he's not even in the suit, or uh, just Return of the Joker, the the flashback. There's just so many, like, immediate kind of responses. Throw that out there in this. I mean, I guess it's when Catwoman saves. There are memorable scenes. It's just, again, I, I wish there was kind of that Pavlovian response, <laughs> action-wise, to this. I mentioned this before. Not nearly as good a gangster movie as part one and again i think this is a fair criticism because it's so let me go back just take a step back in fairness it's trying more to be a superhero movie it does a fine job at that again all the setup i already talked about how well i think this is a good setup for a superhero universe maybe that's why this and even with within the comic the source material long halloween the comic <clears throat> as it escalates you know you're getting more and more villains right so it's more superhero-ish i'm still taking all that into account though right because like as i said before uh and i i guess i'll get to it in, in a second here but there's great gangster movie references uh, what i should say is i'll get to the specifics in a second but like the great gangster movie references mean that this is supposed to be a good gangster this is still supposed to be a gangster movie that's what i'm trying to say if you have a movie that has great gangster nods to it, you know, I don't know, like, it should just 
feel more like it. So what did I say here? I just think we should we could have gotten this to feel closer to a gangster movie, albeit starkly different from part one. Make it starkly different from part one, but I just and I, you know, maybe this is me not having specific examples to back up my argument, and therefore it's not a good argument, but it's kind of like I just I got such a gangster movie feeling from that first movie. Once again, could be just be the duality of how different these movies are. Here's a gripe. Too much exposition slash explaining the mystery. Long Halloween's a mystery. That's part of its genre, right? Gangster, superhero, mystery. I like the misdirect from the book, right? So, but the way she kept, spoiler, 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 the very end, right? The reveal of Holiday. I liked how it was a misdirect. You can't give us the exact uh, identity of a killer from... The source material of a mystery right you're not going to tell the same mystery and that would be completely pointless um and this is why when the fundamentalists about adaptations go nuts i'm like think about what you're saying right so but it's like it just felt spoon-fed it 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 felt like a spoon-fed execution that you simply would not have gotten in part one part one didn't maybe it just didn't have it didn't have to do the heavy lifting plot wise and exposition wise and story wise part two had to wrap up part one it had to wrap up itself as its own movie it had to service all the multitude of characters and villains and be its own movie i don't know maybe that's why it just again it felt like spoon fed in the book Maybe because, but this is a visual medium. It's film. I was about to say, but the comics are visual. Yeah, so it's a movie. In the book, it was just good enough. Like the second, and I don't even know if it's worth going into detail. It's kind of not. The point is that the Holiday Killer is released, is revealed differently in this. Uh, is revealed to be same but different in this. But the way it's revealed is like in the book. Um, and again, you can't always go like, oh, but in the book, it should have been this. It's two different mediums. But... Again, film is like also visual. It just kind of visually explains with as little dialogue as possible, you know, that Gilda Dent was in fact holiday, right? So, but the in this it did that, and yeah, there was a little more to explain because it wasn't just her, and they did kind of the screen thing of two killers. That was all right, cool, but all you had to do, you saw the picture of the other killer. Just do the visual thing. Just like you did in the first one. You showed us enough imagery and enough exposition. You don't have to keep explaining it. And it's also, frankly, a Batman movie. And a Batman noir movie. These aren't supposed to be chatty flicks. Um, which is a perfect transition to voice work. This might be my biggest beef with this movie. Kind of kiddie. That's my criticism. Like It's kind of that annoying, some of the voice work in this. And that fits into the ex uh, the exposition thing. Like, the first movie knew it was a great film that themes, expository stuff, a lot of that is just told through imagery. That's the power of film, right? It's like, as chatty of a person as I am, I know if slash when I make film, it's I'm going to have, you have to reel that in. 
<laughs> or else don't make a movie. Make like a play or a TV show, right? And then you can get a little more chatty maybe, but it's a visual medium, bro. I don't understand why you are especially with a mystery. Like that was so disappointing to me. I mean, this whole movie, there were some disappointments throughout, but being a mystery, I think that's honestly what brings it down. I mentioned B plus before. If I was a letter grader, which I'm typically not, that's what would bring this down from an A to a B plus. It's like you did the homework, you did a great job, and you knew the assignment. It's just what would have brought you to the A is given it that it should feel effortless reading your paper, grading your you know math test, whatever it is. It's like the difference between a B plus and an A. Should make it effortless grading it, and uh, that the, the way that they're like, well, blah blah blah. Here's the other killer, and then blah blah blah. And he just she just keeps explaining to Batman, and I'm like, look, dude, I, stop, shut up. <laughs> if I was Batman, I was honestly expecting Batman to do the thing he always does, which is like, you gave me enough information, I'm out of here. And then I think Batman kind of kept asking questions and stuff, and I'm like, dude, Batman would never sit there that long listening to this. I don't care if you're going to give me the argument of, oh, this is an earlier Batman, because he was dipping out on people throughout this whole thing. In fact, there was a running joke. Even Harvey Dent was doing that. So this Batman, as early on as he is, and it's the end of part two, I'm sorry. He would have dipped. He would have heard a quarter of what she had to say and been out. But this goes back on the voice work. Like, even for a decam, even for, like, the decamu, I really hope this doesn't continue. Now, what I'm saying by kind of kitty is especially... Um, and I believe somehow it was um, our boy, he was Joker in John DiMaggio. Yeah, as Mad Hatter, like, I'm not blaming John DiMaggio. And then Robert Atkin Downs as Scarecrow and Thomas Wayne. But Scarecrow and Mad Hatter specifically. Scarecrow, visually incredible in this. And I thought Mad Hatter looked great, too. Like, seeing these characters in this uh this new style of animation has been really exciting, but like, bro, what is going on with their voices? It sounds seriously, again, way too chatty, talking way too much. You could make the argument that, so what I mean is, similar to what I was saying before, just show it to us. Like, if Mad Hatter and Scarecrow are rolling up in what is a beautiful shot, they're in this horse and buggy, in a graveyard, in a movie called Long Halloween, right? Perfect. Graveyard, imagery, uh, Batman, noir, Gotham, horror. They're both kind of creepy ends of the, the villain spectrum, right? So, because we're going all the way in with villains in this end of, of Long Halloween. They're perfect for all of this story-wise imagery. And again, some of this is based on the book. Then they open their mouth, and it sounds like, I guess, the closest thing would be those, like... What are those called? The animal instincts and the beast, whatever. Uh, Monsters, mayhem. Those like kind of kiddier Batman movies. I They're like good animated movies, but they're clearly made for no one older than 10. And that's what this felt like. Like these two characters would not shut up. You could make the, the argument that Mad Hatter is supposed to like speak in poems or whatever. But man, I mean, one of the strengths of part one was just... People didn't feel the need to fill in every every thing with silence. Yeah, I know it's a different movie, but this was like, this felt like a tonal shift almost. And this is why probably it's my biggest criticism, because I don't understand, especially someone with as, as talented as John DiMaggio. I mean, he sounded perfect, but it was just like this very kind of cliche, um, 
I'm mad hatter like Cockney, dub dub, dibby dibby dub dub. I'm gonna rhyme every other sentence. I mean, yes, mad hatter's supposed to rhyme, but it just felt like such a stock. Like they didn't need John DiMaggio for that. I mean, even my crappy version that you just heard now, like I could work on that and just do the same job. Not to say it would be as good, close to as good as John DiMaggio we're talking about. I just mean like, why would that be the job they're assigning? Why would you make Mad Hatter that? This whole, it's so hard to keep comparing it to part one, but like David DeSmolchin's performance, which we also got in part two. So I guess that holds up my argument. It's like understated. Yes, the calendar man is a totally different character. And some of these characters should be flamboyant and crazy, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know, man. These two just, it, it, it really sounded... And it, it goes into also my beef with, because we got more Joker in this. And then once again, like I said, with Josh Duhamel as Two-Faced, it kind of sounds like, all right, let's go back to the animated series, kind of copy some of our, I don't know, not copy, but just why does Troy Baker have to sound exactly like Mark Hamill? And even Josh Duhamel, as impressive as it was to literally get the duality, even within the voice work of Harvey Dent back and forth to Two-Faced, why does it sound exactly like Richard Mull? Judgment Day. You know, that was terrible, but like, Judgment Day. Whatever, I, I can't do it right now off. Uh, I would have to hear it. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, you heard that in the trailer. If you've seen the movie, you've seen it. That, to me, sounds exactly like Richard Mull. So it's like, all right, that's one thing. Maybe you want to... The way that you kind of homage art or, or use adapt art, I don't know, maybe I'll let that go. But then you have these two characters and it's like more of just what, I mean, even you could let go of the animated series stuff because even those, even Batman the Animated Series is the worst, wasn't kiddie, right? Like, I guess there were a couple episodes that felt like a kid's cartoon, but for the most part, those felt like animated short films with Batman. This... It was so bad cartoony. Uh, it's the best way. All right. So I'm going to stop talking about those two. Once again, the imagery with Scarecrow, how they fit him into the story was fantastic. The um, It was one of the things where literally I out loud, like watching this movie by myself, headphones on, was just like, wow. Like, and yes. I think I might have said like, yes. Seeing Scarecrow escape Arkham, get on a horse, like the black outlines and, and then just these red eyes. This universe is shameless about not worrying about realism, where I feel like the Dekamu was still kind of worried about that maybe. Um, just really embraces the medium of, medium of animation and then the hallucinatory stuff with what could also be uh, an easy trope to fall into in a bad way of, of how many times have we seen Batman's parents getting killed, Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed in an alley. They did just enough of it where it was like, I always say there should be a, maybe a flash to that in every Batman movie or every Batman movie has a pass for me. <laughs> you get my approval because everyone needs my approval. My approval is so important in this world. But uh, it's like, I'm fine with there being a flash to that. If you do it creatively, it fits within the story of the actual movie story you're watching. Great, go for it. This perfectly executed that, which is not easy to do. How many times, once again, have we seen that happen in movies and TV and comics to not to do it in its own kind of new way even like you know batman gets the scarecrow toxin hallucinates his parents getting killed still it was a really well done way that they did it um i loved all that stuff it's just every time that scare pretty much every time the scarecrow opened his mouth it annoyed me 
I just don't know why they sounded so kiddy. Uh, very kids cartoonish. Katie Sackoff did a fine job as uh, Poison Ivy, but frankly, I don't think of, I don't really think of a bombshell when I think of Katie Sackoff. Like Katie Sackoff, you know, she's Bo-Katan. She was in the uh, in the Mandalorian. Then she was Battlestar Galactica. More fantasy for that. Why? Like, yeah, strong woman. Yes, attractive, sure, but not a bombshell. Like the Poison Ivy, it's in her part of what she does. Her sexuality is part of what she does as a villain. I would just kind of maybe cast, like, especially with a cast this strong, I'm surprised I didn't just get someone that's a little more known for, like, having a, like, she sounded like a powerful woman in this. Yeah, there were sexy tones to it, but I don't know. Like, uh, Poison Ivy should, like, almost turn you on with her voice. That's the point of that character is to seduce you, and uh, there wasn't wasn't anything real seductive about her voice. Just saying. Problems with Batman from part one, unfortunately, titular character only got worse. I don't know, man. I'm glad they tried. I'm glad they gave Jensen Ackles a chance in auditions for this. You know, it's like, hey, he was Robin, or even more so, Red Hood. Story-wise, that's interesting. Make him Batman now. I don't know. Let's give it a shot, but he just... To me, did not pull off the voice. There is a line uh, from part one where he says something about a 22 caliber really stood out. Sorry, there's a lot of lines about a 22 caliber in the movie. But there's when Batman delivers it, I believe it's one of the rooftop scenes he's talking to Gordon. They're the triumvirate, triumvirate of both parts, uh, you know, Batman, Gordon, and, and Harvey Dent. And he's like, a 22 caliber. And just the way he said it was, did not, it felt forced. This one, the problems I had in this one. Oh, and I think that was um, another one when they were like, he goes, what about the jack-o'-lantern? And then Gordon's like, does it make a difference? This was in part one. Um, when I, I believe it was the first murder when Johnny Vitti gets killed. And he's like, he's like, what difference does the jack-o'-lantern make? And he's like, I don't know yet. It just sounded like, what is this, like early Keanu Reeves? Just the way he's talking doesn't sound natural. It doesn't sound natural for any person doing any voice, male, female, Batman, Bruce Wayne, to deliver a line like that. I just, he doesn't feel comfortable in the voice. Doesn't pull off Batman. Um, I, one of, probably two criticisms I had, or two, like I did a, two reactions to the trailers. I did a review somewhere in there twice. I said, I don't think his voice is deep enough for it. I no longer think that's, you know, I mean, our criticism can change over time. I don't think that's the case anymore so much as I just I don't think he's right for the part. He doesn't sound very natural in it. And actors are supposed to make you suspend disbelief. That to me sounds like a person trying to do a Batman voice. Um, I don't remember what the exact line was. My biggest gripe in this one, I believe it was when they were one of the scenes with Calendar Man at Arkham Asylum did not sound right at all. Batman, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, but not sorry. Batman should sound like, so, and this is funny. This is coming from me who really did not, I shouldn't say really did not. Jason O'Mara was our previous Dekamu Batman, right? The DC animated movie universe. He was good. You know, it just would never be someone I would cast. I think Batman should have this like re-true resonance. Like his voice should, you should almost feel it across the room, right? Like feel it in your chest. 
super deep, distinct, powerful, scary voice. I think that Jason O'Mara has, he can sound aggressive, tough, even scary to an extent, but like, he just, I don't know. But he's a great actor, Jason O'Mara. And I'm not saying Jensen Ackles isn't. I just mean in the role of Batman and as him as an actor, he was able to make that character, even though it was a Batman I didn't like, it sounded very natural. At no point was I going like, man, this guy doesn't sound right. It just was like, I don't like it. It wasn't, this doesn't sound right. This took you out of it. That's the last thing a performance should ever do. Um, there's my beef with Batman. This is a small gripe. I had this in part one. I was annoyed once again with their attempt at using Italian. Uh, specifically, in one part, they were like, Maron, used way out of context. Italians say Maron all the time. It's more of like, ah, or that's annoying, or Maron, this is annoying, or uh, frustrated, right? It's not like, oh, crap, or oh, shit. You know, like, that's where you would say, cazzo. And there was this one part. Uh, I won't translate cop so you can look it up in Italian, but there was a part where I think they saw security cameras of maybe it was Catwoman. Someone's, you know, invading the crime family compound, the, the tower they live in, the penthouse. And it's like they were like, Maron, when they looked at them. I mean, look, here's the beef. How hard is it to just ask an Italian for a few accurate two per movie? few accurate authentic slang terms and here you here you go you don't even have to do that i don't care you don't have to no one asked you to do it you decided to do it so if you do do it how hard is it to just ask an italian for a few accurate authentic slang terms at the end of the day like this is a gangster movie and i like your attempt at the authenticity once again i'm glad you made that part of your like uh, i don't know voice project of this movie to to make that happen <sighs> work a little harder i sorry that's to me that just felt lazy like i don't know and finally uh grapes are over after this but zero reason for this movie to be r-rated i can't think of beside the one delivery of the word fuck i can't i it's like why was this movie r-rated um I, you know, part one was to, I guess the violence in this too, like there's blood. I just don't get it. Like there's not a lot of smoking in this. I mean, I just see Dark Apocalypse where people are literally being torn limb from limb. John Constantine smoking throughout. In case you're not familiar, in a live action movie, at least with America, according to the MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America, if you're smoking in a movie, automatic R rate. <laughs> Fun fact. Not so fun fact, whatever you want to call it. So I guess if someone is smoking in a movie, like, so that's why I understand why Justice Dark Pops were R-rated. If you have to, and they're cursing throughout it, that's also a movie too where like the stakes are, it's literally the fate of the entire universe. The apocalypse is at hand here, uh, at stake here. Curse, go ahead. This, and you know, also it's like, if you're going to say fuck just once, why not and make it R-rated? Say fuck throughout. If it's a gangster movie, you know, this is going to sound prejudiced or whatever, but let's be real. Uh, Italians, inner city Italians, not the cleanest mouths, especially gangsters, right? They're cursing a lot. If you've seen Sopranos, whatever, some families less than others, but like, 
come on, dude, ton of cursing. If you're going to, this is similar to what I said before about the dialect thing. If you want to do this, like, authenticity to a dialect of Italian, or, or I should maybe not dialect's the wrong term, but, you know, the authenticity of, of slang, it's like, uh, go all the way with it. Do a little more homework. If you're going to say fuck once and make it like, ooh, this is how gangsters would talk, say fuck throughout. You're already there. Fuck it. Right? Um, I sometimes like the challenge of not cursing throughout one of these, but if it comes up, it comes up, and then it's fuck it. Right? <laughs> so cool for cursing. So cool for cursing. Um, loved the gangster movie references. So I'm done with Gregor. Loved the gangster movie references. The Tomato Garden, fantastic. Like straight out of GF1. Um, the, scene, the famous iconic scene where, you know, Marla Brando dies. But more to the point, it's where Michael realizes he's got to. And, and so the cover of The Godfather with the uh, marionette puppetry thing, that's the scene in Godfather where that comes from, where he has this basically the heart to heart that expresses the the theme of that whole trilogy, the whole story of the Godfather, which is Michael, do you want to be, this is Marlon Brando talking to Al Pacino, father talking to son going, you know, do you want to be the guy who, do you want to be the puppet or the guy who pulls the strings? And that's that whole powerful kind of speech that he gives. Right. So that was cool to have this like, uh, father son scene. And he goes to his father for advice and stuff like that in this, uh, to get that nod, straight nod from Godfather in a garden, really good stuff. Then we got the uh, Scarface with the two guns with Sofia Falcone, who's such a badass in this. And I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that from the comic. But, I mean, straight out of Scarface. She is elevated. She's on the top of steps, busts out of a door with two guns while her, you know, gangster home is being invaded or count. Or compounds being invaded. Uh, say hello to my little friend. I mean, directly from that. This is American film fucking history here. Coming alive in a Batman animated movie. That was a ton of fun. I might have gone, <laughs> like, out loud. I might have, like, been laughing or cheering when that happened. I made some kind of noises, people. Animation, superb. Already talked about this. Um, I guess the, just to go into details with it. That I haven't before. Once again, the, the textured background. Uh, I mentioned that before, but just to get a little more into detail, once again, like the black outlines that's specific to this universe, I think go up against the textured background that they've chosen for this perfectly. So they have that like archer looking thick black outline for characters, but when it's put against this really um, rich, again, almost like paper you're looking at paper it is shameless going like you're looking at animation mortal kombat legends did this with um, scorpion's revenge last year and totally different style but just very much like yes these backgrounds are fake it's a cartoon but the, god they complement the hell out of each other gotham in this um going back to i guess other examples of animation it, Gotham, like the first one, is supposed to be a character unto itself, right? Like Tim Sheridan said that behind the scenes. We talked about that a lot in the review. Um, totally happening in this as well. Like 
they really told the story and and portrayed the character of Gotham in part two just as well as they did in part one. Didn't take as much time, like silent shots and cityscapes the way part one did. But again, part one was a quieter, different film, as we keep saying. This still did, with this animation style, um, the job that they did with Batman has been superb. I mean, this is where I'm going to be the most critical. I love, you know, of their style, right? I love what they did with Superman, but that's not my character. I love what they did with Justice Society World War II. I was pumped to see what they would do with Batman. Um, I was pumped to see what we got in the trailers and everything, but then getting it, seeing it played out, and especially now after seeing the second movie. Uh, both parts really um, impressed with animation. Part one, sorry, the part one complaints with vehicles I had, like I think the design of all the vehicles were great. This was almost anachronistic, which carried into this, meaning like it's an anytime, I guess similar to the way Archer does too, uh, although unrelated to the animation, it's kind of an anytime, the way Batman the Animated Series, it's um, Tim Burton kind of described that in his whole pitch for 89 of, he wanted it to feel like uh, the 1940s meets the year 2000. That was in 1989. So the year 2000 was the future for him. Point is, it's like Batman's got futuristic gadgets, um, but then it feels like there's this 30s, 40s anachronism to it. Gotham feels straight out the 40s slash 50s, super art deco New York. Um, whereas... But then again, there's all this like high tech, and he's got the zappling gun. Like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trademark that. God, I'm so clever for that. No, I do like that term though. I'm sure other people have said it. Uh, but when Bat, the grappling gun that Batman has in Part One, um, I call it the zappling gun because it's like this blue zap. It's it's like electronically charged, right? So there's all this kind of bat tech futurism once again meets. Uh, an old school analog. Jim Gordon's got an analog phone in part one. We see analog phones in this too. Point is, sorry, going back to vehicles, I love the design. I love the anachronism. The Batmobile looked great. Uh, it's just the movement of vehicles. And I have this, I just, I'm so tired of saying it. That's the reason I'm like cutting myself off at this point. Motion of vehicles in most DC animated movies for whatever reason. I think it's a budgetary thing. But then the example I always give is, um, Batman versus TMNT. I don't know if that was because that was a co-production of Nickelodeon, but the vehicles in that were perfect. Like the Batmobile looked fantastic. All the turtle stuff looked great. Party wagons, cycles, perfect. Whatever reason, the movement, like you have, you'll have great designs and then the movement's weird. In part one, or I should say in the long Halloween movies, the big beef that I saw in part one, but what's great is I didn't see it in part two, um, is Yes, the movement's weird, but it's just also generally slow. Like, they even gave us a clip online, like, a month or two ahead, I want to say, from part one. And it was like, why are the Batmobiles moving? This is the slowest car chase I've ever seen. Um, but, again, I don't remember bumping up against any of the vehicle scenes in this, which is pretty cool. Like, I don't, maybe they, I just wasn't paying enough attention. Maybe there wasn't a car chase to take note of in the same way, but... Um, and even like the horse and buggy seemed to didn't give me any problems. Yes, a slower moving vehicle, but like there was a horse and buggy in Batman in Gotham by Gaslight that did not look right. It had that same issue. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I was impressed with animation in this. Action, I said this before, top notch, like really top notch action. 
<laughs> Catwoman saving Bruce from Poison Ivy. That's the standout scene. Um, it reminded me of the exceptional action from Justice Society World War II and Man of Tomorrow. I think I just said this before as well. But like the sound design in particular, the um, close-ups they'll do, they're not afraid to like keep punching, which is, it, there's brutality, right? So they're not afraid to do that, which is, excuse me, which is good. I mean, if you're doing a more adult take on these, I'm not saying you have to, but <coughs> since these movies are doing more adult takes, it's cool to see stuff with action um, that you're not going to see in a lot of traditional cartoons, animation, where they would have uh, pulled punches in the past, and they're not afraid to do that in this. Um, <coughs> and sound is a big thing. Obviously, sound is important to any movie, right? But excuse me sorry with animation it's literally there's two dimensions to it it's sound and then whatever is being animated right you're not seeing all this other stuff that that you can kind of get away with in live action you have to play a lot with the sonic world meeting you know your your animation right so man i don't whatever their formula is of doing the action their close-ups the way they do their angles um, it feels like just a straight up action movie and I'm super impressed. I cannot wait to see more from this universe since once again, we're getting all that tie in a new Decamo. Uh, yeah, man, I, I can't wait. Finally. And before my closing thoughts, uh, I'll wrap up with some thematic stuff. I am so happy this was included. My favorite part of the book of long Halloween. I've said before, not a fan of the actual book really. I think it's good. I just, I don't, number one, understand the hype, why people think it's as great as it is. Um, I think it's good. I think it's a great story. I just don't understand, again, why it's as great. Um, I'm also a big stickler for gangster movies. I love my gangster movies. I don't think it's as good of a gangster story, maybe, is maybe people that love it as much as they do aren't as big of a gangster fan as I am. I just think even the book could be a slightly better gangster story, even if it is gangster meets batman so my beefs with the book aside my the themes though were always a thing where i'm like this is genius thematically the whole book is genius thematically um my favorite theme i think though is and it, it always gets me a little emotional even when i read it a book that i didn't like even this movie where i was kind of like man i didn't expect this movie to make me emotional uh is when two-face says to solomon grundy can a man really live two lives? Like, wow. <laughs> so much is there. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. Like, you know, a guy who's a zombie, a guy who is this, uh, and for Gotham, he's the forgotten. Gotham's forgotten. He's the leftovers. He's uh, the evil that still lives, you know, in a subtle way, right? He's kind of this the corruption and evil of that city, he's a perfect kind of representative of it because he's beneath it in kind of this almost hell way. Um, same way kind of almost like Killer Croc is he's in the bowels of it. He's, he's in the base of it, right? So if you have that kind of ugliness at the foundation of Gotham, he still, though, had a life before that, right? And he wasn't always this zombie freak. And nor was Two-Face. So... And the, the fascinating thing, though, those two characters, that's a moment representing, you know, that's a moment of Two-Face going, like, 
he's recognizing that he's done. He's crossed the line. He had a life before, and now that life is over. And he had a good life before, and now his life is going bad. But the can a man really have two lives? That fits in with redemption too, right? Like, that's just, it can mean so many things. And for anyone who has, like, had a crappy past, like, I haven't had the best one. This is always something that always gets me about Batman Beyond, you know, Terry McGinnis having a delinquency in his past um, and then and a, a path of redemption. Can a man really live two lives? So good. Catwoman's relation to Falcone. Like, her family ties with corruption, perfect. I'm pretty sure this was not in the book. Um, it was also cool because you're kind of like, why does she care this much about Falcone? Why is she snooping in so much on them? Even in the book, I feel, I don't know how they explain what her fascination was. It's it just, this was a perfect way to wrap up all of her activities in, in part one. Her motivations is to make her the illegitimate daughter of um, Carmine Falcone. Her ties with the corruption of Gotham. Like, so good to have that story mirror Bruce's family ties with the Falcone family. Like, literally the only difference is Catwoman's mom was just literally in bed with Falcone. Other than that, <laughs> that's it. Like, so good. She... And she's on, like, kind of the good spectrum. She's more good than bad in terms of the Batman villains. But Batman in this is still forming his identity. So there's stuff that he does in part one and earlier on as a character, like, probably more brutal than he's going to end up being at this point. Uh, telling Harvey to burn it down. Like, he's the guy who said, burn this factory of money. He's one of the people who pushed Harvey to be Two-Face. Like, don't let Batman off the hook. He's not that great of a dude. <laughs> you know, he's super hopeless. Uh, and, and this is part of the character development, right? So, like, point is, he's kind of, I'm not saying he's more of a bad guy, but he's not as good as he becomes. So there's all this, like, degrees of how good people are, but really it's, there's a line at some point of this idea of duality. And that line is, kind of corruption right and it's how corrupt are you going to go before you turn totally bad or uh, it's just so good the way that figures like the waynes historically you know thomas and martha wayne are supposed to be these figures of positive development and hope for gotham and building a positive future and all this good stuff and then meanwhile in order to make those dreams come true they had to in their minds they had to do business with and the fact is, the, the sad reality is, if you're in a big city, like, you're going to at some point, probably, if you're some big-time developer, like, yeah, big-time gangsters are tied up and all that, and you're probably going to shake hands at some point with somebody who's done some really evil shit. That's just the reality of being a billionaire. Like, if you think all billionaires are, their hands are clean, get real. That's fascinating, right, to kind of show that side of it too and he has that moment with alfred at one point of going like you know did my parents like is it really worth the cost of what it would do you think if my parents knew like how evil this guy was they would have made that same choice again however he says it, he's basically going like was it worth it uh doing business with being in bed with falcone like the worst of the worst 
in terms of symbolizing corruption in Gotham City, um, to have Catwoman also be like 50%, you know, corrupt in that same way of like, and then the, the secret identity thing too, is Bruce Wayne, Batman's supposed to be this pure character, right? Who is incorruptible, this and that. But then when he's Bruce Wayne, this goes back to once again, as people always say, he's the, his, the true identity is Batman. The facade is Bruce Wayne. This is fascinating though. Like I just kind of thought of this. He doesn't, he probably wants to be Bruce Wayne less than ever after this. Cause it's like, man, I'd really rather be that guy. Cause this bat guy is incorruptible. This bad guy doesn't have a history of his parents with, you know, the very corruption that he wants to fight. The very corruption that gets them killed is what I want to fight, but I can't get away from this past. And that's another theme too. Uh, and I guess we can wrap with it here of like, I think Alfred says it. I forget exactly what character says it, but I'm pretty sure it's Alfred. And then it's just like, you know, you can learn from mistakes. Like you're going to make mistakes. The idea is learn from them, know that they were wrong, admit that you were wrong, um, and kind of move on from it. But yeah, the whole Catwoman thing at first, I'm like, eh, really her dad's really, but if you think about it again, thematically, the way in which kind of like the book, I'll be honest, was kind of like, man, man, but then you think about what these things mean thematically, um, really good stuff. And, and again, I guess back to Catwoman to really wrap it up here is that she is, again, more on kind of a good side of this villain thing. So her duality is this fascinating duality of, you know, she'll do bad things as a means to an end, but her ends are typically good, which is just a fascinating character quirk of like, she'll do all this bad stuff, but she's not a complete psycho. Like she's kind of Harley Quinn in that sense, but not even close to as bad. She would never like, you know, relate to Joker in that way or or do as many evil stuff. She's not nearly as psychotic. She's not insane. Like Selena Kyle Cameron's not insane. <laughs> she's crazy, but not insane. Like there's a difference, right? She's not institutionalizable or whatever the hell you want to call it, even though she, I think, was an Arkham at some point, as they say in this. But, um, you know, it's such a good character to have Falcone be like part father or part father. To be the uh, to be part Falcone was really cool. Um, some closing thoughts here. So if part one wasn't such a damn good movie, this review would have sounded a lot more positive. <laughs> like, I just it part one again. This is like Sopranos versus a great I don't know network TV show. This is Sopranos versus a great HBO show. I, it's just kind of it's so hard. Uh, to live up to. I can't wait to see, excuse me, I can't, I can't wait to see what this means for the new Dekamu. Like, this as our, our newest, this as our Batman, this is our newest chapter of the Dekamu. To see what this is going to mean for this Justice League. I'm really hoping they don't lean too far into the multiverse problems that I had with Just Society World War II. But I think, once again, if since that movie was literally three movies uh, haphazardly thrown together, in my opinion, if you take the good parts of Frankenstein apart, take a leg, take an arm here and there, um, I think we can reassemble a much a good Frankenstein for this Justice League. Maybe we'll get a Batman-Superman team up next. I was hinting at this before, but, you know, we already got a Superman. 
we got a Batman, we got a JL movie, right? So you got a Superman movie, you got a Batman movie, you got your JL movie, technically just Society War War II. You might as well do a new Dekamu, World's Finest. A bring it. And that is it for our review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. Uh, once again, if you're new here at the channel, please consider subscribing on YouTube. Click that notification bell so you don't miss any of our new content. And for the podcast listeners, please subscribe to the pod, just like the vid series. We are a DC Animated Movie Show. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And speaking of Long Halloween Part 2, also included with the new feature was the new DC Showcase short, Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle will, uh, excuse me, Blue Beetle will continue our Showcase short review series covering all of the recent shorts for 2019 through 2021. So stay tuned for next week's episode with our review of Blue Beetle. Finally, follow us on Instagram. We are at DC Animated Movie Show. And follow the YouTube channel as well. We are at Batman Beyond Media. So I have been Benjamin David. And remember, animated, we stand.